Happy Easter. Easter. It's good to have you all here. Uh, We're delighted to have you. If this is your first time with us or you're just just visiting, we are uh, really grateful that uh, you took this this morning to, to spend with us. A few years ago, my fellow elder, Reese John, and the Penn State students uh, that he works with conducted a survey on campus about the meaning of Easter. And they discovered that a very small percentage of students had any idea what Easter is about. Probably doesn't surprise us. Christians celebrate this holiday around the world to memorialize the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But why do we do that? We don't have a holiday to celebrate his bar mitzvah or his first Passover or his entrance into ministry or his baptism, his temptation, his transfiguration in glory on the mountain or or any of his incredible miracles. We celebrate his birth at Christmas His death on Good Friday, sometimes we remember to celebrate that, and we celebrate his resurrection on Easter. Why is this, his resurrection, one of the top tier things to remember and memorialize year after year? This holiday presents a fabulous opportunity to remind ourselves of not only why we do this holiday, but, but why we're doing this whole thing. Why do we go to church at all? Why do some of you try to follow Jesus day in and day out? Why do you keep it up even when you get flack for it? You'll see on your outline that first I'd like to simply explain the fact that we remember Jesus' resurrection And then I'll answer why we do that. And it's not so that we keep the chocolate candy companies in business. And it's not so we can feel like we did our religious duty once a year to keep God happy. No, we remember Jesus' resurrection so that you can live with him in glory. And so that you can endure in dying with him. Let me pray once more. Father, please help us now as we come to your word. Help us to hear your voice. Your word is not bound. And the message of Jesus' resurrection is impossible to stop. Help us now to be changed by it. That we might live with Jesus in glory and we might endure in dying with him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to read a portion of the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy, which was written by a church-planting missionary to one of the pastors that he had stationed at a young church. Paul, the author, at the point where we're going to read, he has just told Timothy, the letter's recipient, that the key to his ministry is to multiply himself by training up more qualified teachers who can preach the message of God's favor toward those who believe in Jesus. And then in the passage I'm now going to read, he moves on to explain what ought to motivate Timothy to do this well. 
Second Timothy chapter two. We're going to start at verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, first, first point in your outline. We remember Jesus' resurrection in verses 8 and 9. To keep on keeping on in his work as a Christian minister, Timothy must, according to verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. This is a remarkable command. Here is probably the most influential Christian missionary to have ever lived, writing to his right-hand man, a pastor in a growing church, and he tells him to remember Jesus Christ. Maybe you you might think a a non-Christian needs to hear this, or maybe a young Christian, but a, a pastor And the command is this remarkable, really, only because we are so prone to ignore it. Sadly, how easy is it to walk into a church these days or a Christian gathering and hear little to nothing about Jesus Christ? How easy is it for Christian parents to teach their Christian children how to cook, how to read, how to play a sport, how to ride a bike, but not how to follow Jesus Christ. These three simple words, remember Jesus Christ, represent both the most important thing and the most difficult thing a person could ever do. It's the most difficult thing because the natural inclination of our hearts is always to turn inward, to think about ourselves, to worry about what other people think about me, to remember my successes, to seek my honor, to listen to my feelings and my urges. And the world around us does everything it possibly can to encourage this inward turn. The world claims that the best thing we could ever do is be true to ourselves. The world claims that our identity is a product of our desires and our quest for happiness. Even our public discourse continues to deteriorate into social media sound bites where the, the person who shouts the loudest about his or her personal microaggressions wins the day. You see, there's really nothing new about these things. 
what I'm describing, it's not unique to America or to the 21st century. At the end of this letter of 2 Timothy, Paul says that people will not endure sound teaching. They have ears that itch and they gather teachers for themselves who tell them what they want to hear. This inward turn is not unique to our day. It is what it has always been like to live as sinful people among a sinful humanity. And therefore, the most important and the most difficult thing to do in this climate is to remember Jesus Christ. In particular, Paul wants Timothy to remember five things about Jesus Christ. The first thing on his list here in verse 8 really involves two things. He says, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Letter A, risen from the dead. This first thing really involves two things. Because before you can be risen from the dead, you must first be, well, dead. Right? So we remember that Jesus died. He really died. He didn't just get sick or pass out. His body shut down while he hung on the Roman executioner's cross. His life left him and he was buried in a stone tomb. He did this so that he could pay the full penalty of God's anger against our sin. Jesus took our place, and he died the way he did so that we would never have to. Those who trust in Jesus for their life will never suffer the furious rage of God. Their sin has already been paid for. But Paul wants us to remember that Jesus didn't stay dead. After three days, he came back to life. He is not still dying. He is not still dead. And he didn't simply rise in the hearts and the memories of his followers. No, his interred corpse began breathing once more and walking around and talking to people. Our sin was paid in full. And God proved it. By vindicating his son, Jesus, as the divine king he had claimed to be, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead for real, we would have reason to question everything that Jesus ever said and taught. We would wonder, did he really come from heaven? Is he really the hope of Israel? Is he really the fulfillment of all of God's promises? Are our sins really forgiven? Has evil really been dealt a mortal wound? Are we really now his people? Is he really making a new world? Has the Lord truly begun to begin setting things to rights once again? Is God really with us? All of these questions would be up for grabs if Jesus had not risen from the dead. 
We spend many weeks through the year reflecting on this fact of Jesus' resurrection. But we take extra time here on Easter to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. But that's not the end of the story. There are four more things for us to remember, which are all profound implications of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What we must remember is not merely the fact of history, but also the earth-shattering changes brought about by that historical event of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so the second thing we remember, the second item on Paul's list, is that we must remember that Jesus is the offspring of David. David was the best and the brightest, the most celebrated of all Israel's kings. David was personally selected by God to be king over his people Israel. David was the kind of king they needed. Now, David was not perfect. He had major flaws with drastic consequences in his sex life and his family life. But his heart returned to the Lord and remained with the Lord all his days. And God blessed the nation tremendously under his leadership. God promised the people that one day he would raise up a descendant of David who would come along and rule like David, except he would do it forever. He would wipe out their enemies. He would rule from his throne with righteousness and justice, making Israel all it was meant to be and influencing the entire world from his throne at God's right hand. You see, with this little phrase in verse 8, offspring of David, Paul reminds us of this entire story. He wants us to remember that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to David's throne. He wants us to remember that Jesus is actively reigning and ruling over the world as God's rightful representative. His rule is a rule of righteousness and justice, and his kingdom will never end. And his reign ultimately means peace on earth and goodwill toward those with whom he is pleased. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we'd have reason to question all of these things. You see, it's not possible for someone to reign as king forever if they die. But Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again, so he could rise up to God's right hand, receive the kingdom from the ancient of days, and superintend for the rest of time everything that transpires. The risen Jesus is the offspring of David. The third thing on Paul's list of things to remember is that Jesus Christ is preached in my gospel. What Paul means here in verse 8, he says, as preached in my gospel, it is that he means that this message about Jesus' resurrection and reign is good news. That's what the word gospel means. This is great news that Paul is preaching. It means that your sins can be forgiven. It means that you can be God's child. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you. It means that God wants to live with you forever. 
It means that everything you've suffered and are now suffering will one day be brought to a complete end. It means that everything will be made right, that God's righteousness and his justice will take over the world, and you have every reason to continue laboring to that end. So this is why we talk about Jesus all the time in this church, not just on Easter. But it's also good for our souls and for our morale to take this time on Easter each year to give special attention to the resurrection and its implications. But that's not all. The fourth thing on Paul's list of things to remember is that the risen Jesus, who is the offspring of David, who is preached in Paul's good news, is, verse 9, the occasion for suffering. It is the reason for which Paul suffers bound as a criminal. You see, Jesus is ruling and reigning even now over heaven and earth in righteousness and justice. But that doesn't mean that everything is yet righteous or just. In fact, one of the key ways that Jesus exercises his kingly authority is to lead his people through suffering. This enables them to identify with him. If your king suffered and died only to rise from the dead, then you must follow the same path to suffer for his name that you might attain to the resurrection of the dead with him. This is really for your good. It conforms you to his image so you can enjoy eternal life along with him. This is important for us to remember on Easter because the resurrection is not about an easy victory. It's not like a blowout at the Super Bowl, which everyone knows is really boring to watch. It's about a hard-fought, hard-won match that gives the victors even greater glory when they overcome their trials and the opposition. The resurrection of Jesus should remind us not to be surprised when life is hard. And it reminds us not to lose hope when things don't go our way. We remember the resurrected Jesus, because his resurrection assures us that our resurrection is on its way. It's a done deal. All we have to do is persevere for a little while in order to enjoy the fruit of it. Because the fifth thing on Paul's list of things to remember about Jesus is that the word of God is not bound. It is impossible to stop. We see this at the end of verse 9. He says, though I am bound, the word of God is not bound. Though Jesus's messenger is bound with chains as a criminal, the word of God, the message of Jesus's resurrection is not bound. You see, there is no way to tie this thing down or to shut it up, or to hold it back, or to squash it out. Many have tried and failed to bring this Christian movement to an end. The first century Jewish leadership tried to stamp it out. 
But the only thing they succeeded at doing was scattering it so it could develop wider and deeper roots. The Roman emperors Nero and Domitian tried to crush it, but it only grew. The medieval Islamic caliphate tried to bind it, but it only grew. Soviet Russia tried to crush it, but it only exploded faster. Red China and despotic North Korea are still trying to crush it. But Christianity is thriving more than ever in those countries. Secularist academics such as Friedrich Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Carl Sagan, and Richard Dawkins, they've all tried to undermine it. But friends, the word of God is not bound. It continues to spread and to thrive. And not only with the uneducated poor or the pliable masses, but also with the intelligentsia, with the upper class, the powerful and the influential. God has always been at work through the message of Jesus' resurrection. And he's still working in all kinds of people, in every social stratum around the globe. Now, I've heard people say that one evidence of things going downhill for Christianity is that if we look at the the 20th century, we saw more Christians killed for their faith than in the previous 19 centuries combined. And that might be evidence of things going downhill for Christianity. But please don't neglect the obvious. This tragic statistic at least reflects the fact that there were more Christians to be killed in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. So today we remember Jesus' resurrection. Every day life bumps and jolts and prods us such that it is so easy to drift off course and to lose perspective about what God is doing in history and around the world. So today we remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel, the occasion for suffering but impossible to stop. So these five things are what we remember when we remember Jesus' resurrection. But why does it matter? Why do we bother to do this? Point number two, we do this so that you can live with him in glory. Look with me once more at Paul's conclusion and his motivation in verse 10. Therefore... I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because those five things that he listed are true about Jesus and his resurrection, Paul is able, therefore, to endure everything For the sake of the elect. Paul is willing to suffer in prison on trumped up charges brought by those trying to stamp him out and shut him up. He's willing and he's empowered to do it for the sake of the elect. 
Paul knows that God has his people out there, those whom he will save, those who will trust in Jesus alone as their hope, who will be adopted into God's special family. And Paul wants all of these people to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul doesn't want them to continue suffering under the weight of condemnation from their sin. He doesn't want them to continue harming themselves and others with their wicked and foolish choices. He doesn't want them to face the fury of God's just conviction and devastating assault on sin. Paul doesn't want them to die an eternal death forever unable to pay back what they stole from their creator and their sovereign, the eternal and unchanging God. Paul wants them to know salvation from all of these things. And not only rescue from the bad stuff, but he also wants them to have entry into all the good stuff. He wants them to share in eternal glory with Christ Jesus. He wants them to have life abundant that will never end. He wants death to have no hold on them with nothing to cause them fear. He wants them to enjoy God's new world when he makes a new heaven and a new earth and he raises the bodies of his people to new life so they can enjoy all the great things about life on earth and suffer none of the setbacks or pain points for the rest of time under the smile of his gaze and the praise and the honor that he reserves for those who love him. You see, Paul wants this for his people. And we at this church celebrate Easter because we also want this for you. May it be said of the leaders of this church, that we would endure anything and everything for the sake of God's elect. May it be said that many who endeavored to visit this church found salvation when they believed the unstoppable message we preached. If you know that you are not a Christian, or if you are not sure whether Jesus is your Lord, your master, your all in all, Please consider all that I am saying this morning. Consider what it means for both you and the world around you. All you have to do to obtain salvation from all those things I talked about. All you have to do to share in eternal glory with Christ Jesus is believe. It just means to trust Jesus with your life. To bank on him and his death and resurrection as your only hope of life and approval before God. This makes you a new person who no longer lives for yourself, turning inward for truth, for identity, for satisfaction. And it makes you someone who now lives for a kinder master. One who will never leave you or forsake you. One who will shape you into his image and who will prepare you to live and reign with him 
forever. Please consider these things. And let me know if you have any questions or if you want to know more about what it would mean to trust Jesus. We remember Jesus' resurrection so that you, every one of you, can live with him in glory. But finally, we remember Jesus' resurrection so that you, every one of you, can endure in dying with him. Because, remember, before you can rise from the dead, you must first, well, die. This was true of Jesus, and it is no less true of those who wish to live with him in glory. Let me reread verses 11 to 13. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him... we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In these last few verses, Paul quotes a poem to Timothy, it was likely a hymn that they would have sung many times at their church. It was something they knew. And Paul uses it to remind them of the implication of remembering the risen Jesus Christ. The poem selection he quotes has four lines in two pairs of two parallel lines. The first couplet offers encouragement to keep on And the second couplet issues a challenge not to drift. And then Paul ends with a concluding statement of his own. For he cannot deny himself. The first couplet assures us that those who die with Jesus will also live with him. Those who endure will also reign with him. Now this connects back to the suffering that he mentioned in verse 9. That those who remember Jesus Christ can't help but proclaim him. And those who proclaim him will suffer for doing so. Now why would anyone choose to do such a thing? What could possibly motivate someone to say, Sure, I'll follow this God. It will make my life harder. It will make my family suspicious. It'll throw my securities all out of whack, and I may eventually be ostracized, imprisoned, or even executed for it. What would ever motivate someone to do that? Because make no mistake, friends, that is exactly what you are signing up for if you choose to remember Jesus Christ. What motivates them is that dying with him is not the end. Dying with him is simply the pathway to living with him. Enduring is hard and painful. But if I can teach my children to patiently turn aside from eating snacks so they won't spoil their dinner, endure some pain now because it will be better for you later, then I also can learn to endure through dying with Jesus so that I can reign with him in eternal life. It has never been true in God's universe that he who dies with the most toys wins. No, what is true 
is that he who endures scorn and suffering for the sake of following Jesus wins a throne and a kingdom, participation in Jesus's kingdom, eternal toys that will never break with batteries that never run out of juice. And this is marvelous. But we must not neglect the sobering warning of the second couplet in this poem. That those who deny him will be denied by him. And those who are faithless will face Jesus' own faithfulness. Now this last line, some interpreters believe that this is talking about Jesus' faithfulness to forgive his people when they stumble and make mistakes. That might be the case. But the parallelism of the poetry leads me to believe that he is talking about Jesus' faithfulness to his word to deny those who deny him, the previous line. They're in parallel. And Jesus promised that he would be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him. And Jesus will not share his glory and his kingdom with those who are faithless, those who don't persevere in faith, trusting him alone. You see, the New Testament has nothing positive to say about those who are faithless, those who lack faith. That's what it means to be faithless. It means you don't believe. And Paul is, says in his concluding editorial statement, he cannot deny himself. He cannot go back on his word. He cannot ignore his holy character to punish sin. Either you have faith that he paid for it, or you must pay for it yourself. The point of the second couplet is simply this. Don't drift. Don't drift. Now, this doesn't mean that you must be perfect and never make mistake and you may never have doubts. No, it means that you keep coming back to Jesus. You remember Jesus Christ. As the 80s rock band so eloquently put it, don't stop believing. You have everything to gain if you endure and everything to lose if you do not. This is why we remember Jesus' resurrection week after week after week, Easter after Easter after Easter, so that you and I can endure in dying with him. Friends, dying is hard. It doesn't feel so great. It makes me want to give up, to try something new, to alter course. But friends, remember... Remember Jesus Christ. The feeling of death in your life should assure you that resurrection is coming. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so will you if you die with him. Let me end with three brief applications. First, remember Jesus' resurrection. If you haven't gotten that yet, let me restate it now. Remember Jesus' resurrection. Take advantage of Easter to remind yourself of the basic formula that for those who are in Christ, after death comes resurrection. 
Remember Jesus' resurrection. Application number two. Die with him. Die with him. Here's what I mean by this. Suffer for him. This is what happens when you proclaim him. You experience the million daily deaths as you lose friends and you lose family or comfort or security or whatever it was that you were looking to for happiness. Maybe you even physically die for following him. And this, dying with him, it's only possible when you do the first application. Because you'll never be willing to die with him unless you remember what happened to him after he died. Application number three, endure. Endure. Keep dying and dying and dying. It will be only a little while until you can never die again. Because the message of Jesus' resurrection is impossible to stop. Jesus himself said, whoever believes in me Though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We remember Jesus' resurrection so that you can live with him in glory. And so you can endure in dying with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and your masterful plan to rescue this world that has turned its back on you and these people whom you have loved, we ourselves who have turned our backs on you. Please help us to remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel for which we suffer, but who is impossible to stop. Help us to remember these things that we might obtain salvation and live with you in eternal glory and so that we might endure day by day by day in dying with you. Lord Jesus, you are our life. You are our only hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.